she dropped the tray. I can still see the, the tea splashing across the carpet, the milk as well. And she sat down next to me and she gasped for breath a wee bit. He's got a soldering iron in one hand, he's got a blowtorch in the other. When out of the wall appeared a beautiful white horse with a Roman soldier on it, followed by platoon after platoon of Roman infantry. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to the Drip Podcast. Now, today, me and Lozzie are joined by Simon Entwistle. Now, you can't see him. We've had a little technical issue. So we just decided, you know what? We don't need the camera, but we do have Simon's voice right now. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, so, Simon, where do we begin? Um, so, you, you, I, I met you through um, the Into the Darkness uh, Ghost Compilation channel, and we collabed together as well, uh, both on my channel and on that channel. Um, as I as I look at um, your Instagram, it says here you're a professional tour guide and voiceover artist. Would you like to tell us and the people at home just a little bit more about yourself? Right. Well, I conduct um, quite a few guided tours, mainly in the north of England, uh, Lancashire, Yorkshire and Cumbria. Uh, these tours uh, consist of ghost walks, but also heritage tours. Uh, there's nothing I like more than climbing to a coach and uh, taking... Um, this is into, shall we say, Pendlewich country, or yeah. up to the city of Carlisle, or to the city of York, etc. And uh, it's, it's a great job, really. And of course, over the years, sir, I've uh, um, literally amassed a battery of stories. And uh, I look at myself, of course, as a tour guide, but also as a storyteller as well, really. That's amazing. That's amazing. That is, to be, that the, uh, the Pendle Hill Witches is something that I do want to... Uh, pick your brain out in a little while because I know that that is uh, sure. is something that you have a, a deep passion for and 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 somewhere that I would love to visit as well uh, one day. Um, so what where did where did this all begin for you? You know what what kind of got you into doing the tours, doing the storytelling, etc. Well, I found it by complete accident, really. I did. I um, went to the same primary school as my brother and sister. They both went to university. I didn't. I went to the local secondary modern school. Um, I suppose that every human being, there's someone else trying to get out, really. And um, I discovered uh, way back in um, 1996 that um, walks and indeed tourism was really my my, my future. Um, the very, very first guided tour I, I gave was in October 1996, and I had about four people on it. And then the, the week after, about 25 and then I got local radio involved and local regional television. And I found myself doing a job that I was actually enjoying, but mm -hmm. also getting for the very first time in my life, a thing called job satisfaction, yeah. something I'd never had before really. And um, that's how it all started really, but um, um, it's been a brilliant, brilliant journey. And uh, through that journey, I've met um, quite a few celebrities and I've also um, been very, very kindly awarded with tourism awards uh, from Visit England and Marketing Lancashire, etc. And um, it's a great honour to actually get to the very height of your profession, if you will. Absolutely, of course. Uh, and it sounds, you know, like you say, you started in 1996, you've been doing it for, for a long time now, and you're a, you're a seasoned pro. W was it always 
um, from the get-go, you know, was it ghost walks? Because I know you say you do heritage as well, or did you start out in heritage and then find a little bit of a love for the paranormal? Well, a million years ago, I was in the army, and I was based at a place called um, Strensel Barracks in York. And, of course, York is a great tourism city. And there they have eight different guided ghost walks. In fact, there's a lot more nowadays. You've got the river ooze cruises. Uh, you've got to Viking. You've got Roman. You've got Victorian. You've got general purpose ghost walks. But um, I got bitten by the bug. And I thought I'd try that. I'd try a tour in my hometown of Clitheroe, which is in the northwest of England. There's a, a castle there which dates back 800 years. And I got a book from the library and I really studied that. And uh, I mixed... Uh, history with paranormal sightings because ghost stories do get the attention do they really they do. do yeah and yeah. Uh, uh, i occasionally get invited to primary schools would be primary schools and indeed uh, second modern schools etc just for storytelling yeah and the teachers will say things like i wish we could get the same interest with mathematics and english uh, yeah. with, uh, like, like the ghost stories but they they do get a lot of in, a lot of in a lot of um, affection, really, but also a lot of attention. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, do you know, one of the, obviously working it within the, the paranormal space, myself and, and, and Lozzy as well, having a deep interest in it, you know, that is a question that I do often pose to myself, you know, why are we so fascinated with the paranormal? Why are, you know, is it because it's, it is the other side of death isn't it you know it is like is there something after wow. death you know yeah. what, what are these paranormal experiences are there scientific um explanations for these things and and it's a question that for myself uh, the reason i began doing um paranormal investigations was i wanted to answer that question um myself yes could I ask uh, you, Simon, what are your thoughts, what are your beliefs as to, to, to the paranormal and, and ghosts and, and indeed the afterlife? What a, what a fantastic question, that is, Judy. Um, I am not a uh, clairvoyant, I'm not a, a medium, not a, a psychic. But uh, to answer your question, I'd just like to throw in a, a short story that will Absolutely. actually answer the question. Um, I've, got, I've got a good friend called Andrew, and he's always got a smile on his face. He's, you can even smile on a Monday morning at seven o'clock. This, this guy's amazing, really. And I said, Andrew, you, you look very happy, mate. What, what is it? Well, I died three times. Said, oh, yeah, tell me about it. He mentioned he was involved in a very, very serious road traffic accident where uh, the driver next to him was killed, uh, but the engine came away from the engine block and crushed him to the back of the seat. And when the fire crews arrived, they cut the roof off the car. They laid him by the side of the car, and he was pronounced dead until a police officer knelt down and looked into his eye and saw a twicker. He was then rushed by um, air ambulance, the nearest hospital, but on landing he had a cardiac arrest, and they thought this is very serious. Uh, he was then rushed to an intensive care unit in the city of Manchester, and then rushed into theatre. But this is where his story really starts, dude. He said, Simon, you can believe it or not, I'm not bothered either way, but I watched my own operation. That's, that's impossible, Andrew. It can't be done. It's impossible. No, I found myself floating from the, 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 the theatre ceiling. I looked down. I saw uh, medical staff working feverishly on my chest cavity. Um, I then saw, uh, or rather heard, beautiful, beautiful music. It was like really, really gorgeous music. And I felt I wanted to go towards the music, 
but something stopped me. I then looked down again and saw one of the surgeons leave my body. He walked over to the, the sinks in the side of the theatre to wash his hands and a nurse took his mask off. And he said, I could actually hear them talking. They were talking about going on holiday. The nurse took the mask off him and I saw a man there with slightly dark features, a pencil thin moustache, and they were talking about going to Ibiza. I then re-entered my body. Now for three months, he was in what's called an induced coma. Mm -hmm. And his mum went to see him every day. She sat by his bed. And after three months, he came round for the first time, opened his eyes for the first time since the road traffic accident. And um, the, the hospital heard about this. And of course, all the staff went rushing up to, to his room, including the surgeon. And the surgeon rushed in and said, oh, Andrew, you're back with us. We thought we'd lost you that day, you know. Oh, uh, I watched the whole operation. No, 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 impossible, Andrew, impossible. You've been unconscious for three months. Uh, doctor, can I ask you, please, how is your holiday in Ibiza? <sighs> His jaw dropped. Yeah. His jaw dropped. It's, well, actually, Andrew, uh, my wife is the theatre nurse, and she, we did go to Ibiza the following day, but you've been unconscious. How do you, how do you know that one? So Andrew's answer, I think, to your question, Judy, is do I believe there's another life after this one? Yes, I do. Yeah. I believe there is another life. And that's why this guy looks happy, because he's not frightened to die. Yeah. It doesn't worry me the slightest. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. And it, and it reminds me of, um, there was a documentary on Netflix about uh, similar, similar kind of um, experiences, you know, these, these, these life after death experiences almost. And, and they do talk of like this, this, sen this warm sensation, the sensation yes. of music, the sensation of like a pulling, yes. you know, and, and it's interesting that, you know, he, he refused it and it was like, cause it wasn't his time, you know. Um, but also yeah. you, you hear these stories of these people that, that pass over the other side and it's it's beautiful. I highly I, I can't remember the documentary for the life of me right now, but um, I highly recommend it because it's beautiful. Because they do say, you know, it was warm, it was it was beautiful. I felt no fear, I felt no anxiety, I felt no anger, no hatred. All I felt on the other side was love. I was greeted by my loved ones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, and it's just those kind of stories. I really do love because it just it get much like your friend there who who experienced what he experienced it gives you hope doesn't it you know it gives you hope that it's not just the end very much so did but you've just explained it beautifully because he said those words I felt calm I felt relaxed I wasn't scared it felt natural yeah. in other words he'd never felt as happy in his life yeah uh, as, as that moment, and there was nothing to be concerned about. There was no, there was no worry. There was no fear. No, no nothing. So, uh, it, you've just explained exactly what he said. Yeah, it's, that is beautiful. And, and the more, the more stories I hear like that, it just, it does make me happier. Just to, just to, you know, it kind of, it, and and it, and so is that hearing that from him? Did that kind of solidify for you? Like, do you know what? He's really optimistic about this whole thing and his experience. So I'm going to, to take that path, that belief system. Very, very much so. 
Um, it just, shall I say, um, confirm my faith that there is another life after this one, really. Apologies for pulling you out of the podcast momentarily. I just needed to give a shout out to today's sponsor, Wraith. Now, I have to do long editing sessions, and of course, I have to do those overnight paranormal investigations. And as terrifying as they are, which you would think you'd be fueled by fear, when you get to around 2, 3, 4 in the morning, you do get a little bit drowsy. So I use Wraith to keep me alert, keep me aware, and keep me energized. What I love about Wraith is the vast amount of flavors that you can get. My personal favorite is the Pear Drop. You know the sweets, Pear Drops. I know it sounds a bit silly, but you think like drink flavors, they say that they're one thing and they, they're just sort of like, yeah, it's not though. No, it literally tastes like you're drinking Pear Drops. And with my code DUDY, that's D-U-D-E-Y, you can get yourself 20% off. Just go to drinkwraith.com and get your Wraith energy today thank you so much to wraith for sponsoring this podcast mm -hmm. uh, but um i find on my tours duty uh, you can read about ghost stories you can read about people like andrew but to get eyewitness accounts that that's what i really enjoy yeah. and you can always tell when someone is pulling your leg you can always tell you can always tell when someone's being very honest yeah. and very very truthful yes. and on all my tours i prefer to use what I call the eyewitness account ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those was my own father, my own wow. dad. Uh, and his story is quite unique. Would you like to hear that, Doody? Or I would have love got to time? hear Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Very good. It's about a five-minute story, this, folks. And oh, it man. is one of my favourites. And again, my dad was a great guy. I mean, he died way back in 1982, but he wouldn't lie about anything. And he wouldn't need to lie about anything, but... It's a gorgeous story, this dude, and I swear to you, it's 100% true. We'll turn the clock back to 1960, when I was just five years old. And my parents bought this beautiful house um, in a little hamlet just outside the Lake Street town of Windermere. And I remember arriving there at the age of five and looking at this beautiful Victorian uh, three-story building. And I literally fell in love with it that very, very moment. And Although I was only five years old, I felt so fortunate to live in such a gorgeous part of Great Britain. Now, my mum and dad made the bed up very, very quickly. And my sister and I, my brother, we all fell into a deep sleep, as children do, really. And they carried a work into the early hours, unloading tea chests, moving carpets, moving furniture. And around 1.30 in the morning, they decided to turn in. They made their bed up. And as it was a country house, there's no neighbours, so the last job he needed to do was put in any curtains really but my dad mentioned that he uh, got into bed and he turned over and there was bright bright moonlight coming straight for the bay window in the bedroom which seemed to illuminate the whole bedroom he then heard the sounds of tiny footsteps uh, the door opened and in came a liver and white cocker spaniel dog and he thought how's that how's it got in here he got out of bed to grab the dog's collar to take it downstairs and open the front door and shoo it out but as he attempted to grab the collar of the dog, his hand went straight through it. He made a second attempt, but his hand went through the dog for the second time. The dog then turned and looked at the window as if its name was being called and then shivered and disappeared. My father had never seen anything paranormal in his life before. He sat on the end of the bed and thought, I don't believe what I've just seen. My mum woke up with a jolt. She said, 
just had a strange dream as clear as day. There's a man outside with a dog lead pointing up at our bedroom window in Victorian dress. My dad told me what he'd just seen, and they put two and two together. Now, they never told me until I was 15 years old, and um, for obvious reasons, really. Yeah, they're not scary. Um, but in that period of time, Duty, I really fell in love with the house. Uh, birthdays, Christmases, primary school, second modern school. And when my dad sold it in 1973, it literally broke my heart. And I, uh, I remember him closing the door for the very, very last time as we left to move to another area of, uh, of Cumbria. And uh, my heart really was left there. But what happened only seven years ago, Duty, was what I call millions to one against. Uh, my wife and I went on what we call a Mediterranean cruise. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Went to Gibraltar, Cadiz, Marseille. Loved it. Mm -hmm. And they had what's called a black tie event on board, where you put the dinner jacket on, bow tie, yeah. etc. Uh, went down to the restaurants and uh, sat and had a really nice meal. And um, just two tables away was a very, very attractive young lady that kept smiling at me. And I thought, I really cannot be that good looking. <laughs> but, but as it happened, she knew me. Uh, she did come from Lancashire. She had been on my coach tours before. Uh, she was called Louise. And she was indeed the events manager on this cruise ship called the Oceana P&O uh, Cruises. Said, Simon, love to see you. Uh, I've been on your coach tours. I quite like your stories, your ghosts, murders, mysteries. I said, well, would people like that? Oh, she said, I'm going to give you an email address when you get back to England and you can um, audition. You just need to bring your laptop and um, you can audition for a slot in a, on a vessel like this. And I thought to my wife, wow, we can get a free cruise out of this one. Yeah. Uh, got back to England and um, I um, sent my CV to P&O. Within three days, I got an audition. I could go to Sussex or to Cumbria. Cumbria was the easy option because it's the next county to Lancashire. I was given a telephone number, a lady called Maureen, the cruise director. had a good conversation with her. Uh, she said, just bring the, your laptop, Simon. Just bring your, your stories and I'll audition you and see if it's good enough material for P&O. Um, my house is rather hard to find, she said. Uh, it's in South Lakeland. I said, well, I know South Lakes quite well. I, I used to live up there, but, oh, you won't find my house, she said. It's really awkward. She gave me a sat-nav code. I left my hometown of Clitheroe on Tuesday afternoon, uh, drove to the city of Lancaster, um, right up towards South Lakeland, which I knew very well, of course, uh, past my old primary school, my old secondary modern school, up a very, very famous um, hill called Hevisham Head, down the back of Hevisham Head, and then up a very, very familiar driveway and straight back to the house. No. It seemed that Maureen, the cruise director, had bought the house. And when I got there, she looked a bit jaded. She said, come on, Sam, we haven't got much time. I need to get this audition done. What's the problem? Well, I used to live here. <laughs> no, no, she said. I did. I used to live here. Um, I had some pictures on my laptop which confirmed that. Yeah. We then went inside. Uh, she made a cup of tea. She came back, and I told her about my dad and yeah. the cocker spaniel dog. She dropped the tray. I can still see the the tea uh, splashing across the carpet and the milk as well. And she sat down next to me. And she gasped for breath a, a wee bit, and she said that her brother lives in London, and every Christmas he would spend Christmas with the the family. And the very very first Christmas he would have had what would have been your mother and father's bedroom upstairs. In the early hours of the morning, 
the door opened and in came a liver and white cocker spaniel. Wow. I looked at the ceiling and talked to my dad in the heavens and said, thank you, dad. You've just confirmed it. So again, to answer your question, Judy, do I believe in ghosts? Yes, I do. Do I believe in the afterlife? Yes, I do. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Not it's only your father's story, story yeah. but to then be on a cruise, to see someone who's been on your tour, to go to hers for an interview, to it, for it to be your old home, and then for that ex- same experience to happen to her brother. That's incredible. It's a fabulous story, but it I can really... assure it's quite true. It really is. And, um, of course, more That's in the cruise writer can confirm it. And so can my wife as well. So it's, it yeah. is a very true story. That's incredible. The chart the, that is astounding. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I can just—I can just imagine like her being so stunned to to drop to drop the tray of tea, etc. That's incredible. But I'll get to, that, to walk that. back inside that building, I mean, I'm now um, I'm now 68 years old, but uh, when I left that building, I was just just 15 years yeah. old. And to sit in that front room and to see the familiar doorknob. To see the familiar fireplace, yeah, and it's almost as if that house wanted me back, you know. Yeah, it's almost yeah. as if the house wanted me back. There was some some strange energy there, do you think? Really? Yeah, some energy. It wanted me back again. I'm sure it did. That's, that is an incredible, incredible story. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. I really that, that's, yes. that's amazing. That really it's a is. very true story. That, well, this, that's the beautiful thing because you know it's your dad as well. You know, like if my if my dad told me a story like that, like knowing the character of my father too, like I've you know I'd, I'd believe him. You know, because again, there's there's no reason. And and also I tell you what else I tell you, there's a little bit of information there, which really, um, for me lends so much credibility. They waited till you were 15 years old. Do you know what I mean? Because it was that it was that much of a of an experience for them that they didn't want to yeah. put any fear in their little boy. So they waited until you were old enough to understand, old enough to, you know, may, it may have gave, give you a sleepless night or two, because I think even at 15, it would have me, but it's, uh, that's, 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 that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And that's brilliant. That really, so, yeah. there we go, um, so we've you, established, um, you definitely believe in ghosts, which is fantastic. Sorry, Simon, you were yeah, about to yeah. say, I do apologize. Uh, yes, um, uh, our good friend, Thomas Powell, Yes. Uh, Tom, he very, very kindly um, made a film of that story. Oh, wow. And and we actually did use the pictures of the original house as well. And he did a great job. And you can find that on YouTube. Yeah. And we called it, we called it the 44 million to one against story. 44 million to one against. Uh, you can view it on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, it, it'll give you an idea of the house and... Uh, the way Tom did the uh, did the pitch in the background, he did a great job. Oh, brilliant! What I'll do after this, I'll um I'll drop Tom a message and get him to send me the link, and then on the YouTube version of this podcast, I'll put it in the description. So if anyone wants to watch that, fantastic! Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, fantastic. Um, so yeah, we've established that you believe in in ghosts. Um, have you ever had an experience on one of your tours? Um, I would be a liar to say I've seen a ghost, dude, because I haven't. I can't lie to you. But a very, very unusual thing did happen to me. Um, I cover a beautiful hall called Salmsbury Hall 
in the northwest of England. Uh, it's reputed to be one of the most haunted buildings in the northwest of England. Um, I do regular tours there, and um, I've never seen anything. But what did happen quite recently? There's a group of three lads from Birmingham who have their own YouTube channel called TGF. And there's the, the three very, very humorous lads. They are very, very humorous. Yeah. And I think at first their intention was to probably take the mickey out of me. I think that right. was probably their their, their um, intention. But we, I gave them a guided tour of Sandley Hall, a guided tour. Mm -hmm. And they were actually really interested in the whole subject. Yeah. Uh, when we got upstairs into what's called the long gallery, the door kept slamming shut and opening and slamming shut and slamming shut and that has never ever ever happened before and um i've been there when it's been very windy outside some high gales etc but um that is actually it's actually been caught on youtube under yeah. tgf Sonsby hall and um it was amazing how many people made comments um they thought it was perhaps rigged because these guys are good at their humor but yeah. there were three of them, and they were with me all the time. And um, I know they've not been into that room before. And there was certainly no string attached to the door or any form of cable attached to the door. But yeah. you can see that in YouTube as well, and it and it does slam shut. The only other time for me, do would be um, not on a ghost walk, but on the Somme battlefield, oh. a place called um, a place called the Sunken Lane on the Somme battlefield, near a place called Hawthorne Ridge where um, I was there by myself and uh, you walk through the sunken lane, which is a, a natural dip in the Somme battlefield. Um, and um, there's some fabulous footage from World War One of the Lancashire Fusiliers. And they're all sitting there and smoking and chatting before they leave the sunken lane. And they're filmed by a guy called Geoffrey Mallins. And what is very, very touching about that piece of film is they all, they all got killed. They were, this chap was actually okay. filming their last minutes of life um but as i walked down as i walked down the sunken lane i know i was by myself and i heard the words begins me any this to glücklich which means uh, hello my friend are you happy I, I turned around there was no one there at all but the back of my hair did rise a wee bit yeah it was a voice i heard it was a german voice not not french not english but definitely german yeah and it was actually the sunken lane uh where of course in world war one thousands of young men from both sides would have lost their lives yeah oh my god so although you haven't seen a ghost you've heard one well uh it was german it was definitely german it wasn't yeah. it wasn't english it wasn't uh, french it was uh, german uh but uh i said some horrors would have happened in there some horrors yeah no of course absolutely yeah. that actually that's actually a a nice little thread I'm going to pull there, Simon, if I may, because I'd love to, you know, you're a believer in ghosts, etc. There are obviously lots of theories as to um, the paranormal, one of which, one of my favourites, I have to say, stone tape theory. The theory oh, that yes. if there's a lot of um, emotion or trauma, etc., can imprint itself on the material world around it. What are your thoughts on on theories in general, but but maybe perhaps more specifically, um, the stone tape theory? I'm a huge believer in that uh, duty, actually. But I also think that the human brain can pick up things that um, that other things can't really. And uh, I, I do know some mediums out there. There's some pretty good ones. There's some very good ones actually, uh, and they can see things that you and I can't. Yeah. But 
the stone tape theory, if you were to go to, shall we say, the treasurer's house behind York Minster, there's a lovely story there of a chap called Harry Martindale who's no longer with us. And uh, Harry was working in the in the cellar. You imagine you've got a brick wall to your right, a brick wall to your left, and you've got a, a ceiling over there. It's 1952. It's around half past three in the afternoon. He's got a soldering iron in one hand. He's got a blowtorch in the other. He is installing central heating pipes. Um, he hears the sound of a trumpet that gets really loud. Um, he glances to his right. And remember, he's actually up a ladder in the corner of the cellar. When out of the wall appeared a beautiful white horse with a Roman soldier on it, followed by platoon after platoon of Roman infantry. Now, Harry scuffles down that ladder and cowers in fear in the corner of the cellar. But he notices they can't see him and he can only see them to their knees. They all look to be emaciated. They all look to be very depressed, but slightly dark skinned. And he explained they were wearing what he called a leather kilt. Um, not at all like a, um, a Hollywood Roman soldier, if you will. Mm. As the last soldier went past him, the sound of the trumpet faded as well. He rushed upstairs and told his boss. His boss said, no, 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 Harry. We've got a contract. We've got to get this central heating installed. We're but three days behind. I can't go down there again. He sat. Harry was sat. He lost his job that day. And wow. um, he made his way to the nearest public house called the Old Star Inn. Uh, had a, a stiff drink, as you can imagine. Yeah. But at the yeah. bar was a young lad from the York Evening Press who said, here, mate. It looks like you've seen a ghost. And actually, I've, I've seen quite a few this afternoon. All right, tell me about it, lad. He told what he'd seen, and this, the, the press, when it's getting towards Halloween, sounds like a great story, and they printed it. When it was printed, the city of York laughed at Harry. They found his story hilarious, and he was the butt of many a joke. But some more work had to take place in the cellar of the treasurer's house, and they had to install the central heating pipes, which meant digging in there. And they found a beautiful Roman floor. And there they found a large Roman pillar in immaculate condition with the words Eberarchum. It was the garrison of York. And that's when the professors from York University sat down with Harry. And they said, Harry, you somehow, with your blowtorch, with your copper piping, you somehow opened a time warp to another era and another time. Uh, but to, uh, to answer your story, I think that's indeed stone tape. Uh -huh. uh, something very, very similar happened in, in my part of the world. Would you like to hear that story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Feel free. Very good. Well, we're now going to go to Blackburn. And um, again, it's a short story, but very, very similar to Harry's experience. Stone tape, again, very, yeah. very similar. Um lovely lady called Jean Halliwell. Uh, Jean, she lives in Blackburn. She runs a guest house. Um, she had seven children. They all left, left home. And she thought, I don't want to leave this area called Duke's Brow, which is a rather pleasant part of Blackburn, really, uh, overlooking the town itself. Now, uh, way back in 1642, there was a battle up there, uh, English Civil War, um, Gilbert de Horton's men versus the um, Blackburn militia, where there was quite a few fatalities on top of Duke's Brow. We now pick up the story in 1995, when Mrs. Halliwell made her way into her vegetable patch and she put this, a fork into the soil and she turned the soil over and up came a cannonball, up came a broken spur, uh, up came some musket balls and she put them all in a seed tray 
went into the front room and the telephone rang as it did on many occasions. And on the end of the phone was an Australian chap who said, uh, hello there, have you got a ring for me wife and three kids? We're going to come over this all uh, Yes, of course I have. Righty home, see you later. The Australian family arrived and she said, oh, just go to the front room, I'll make you a cup of tea and I shall take you to your rooms. She put the kettle on and she heard hysterical shouting and screaming. And the Australian family came rushing down the corridor and actually elbowed her out of the way. They looked to be terrified. They got into their car and reversed down the driveway at great speed. Uh, Jean, as you can imagine, was quite shocked. She thought, oh no, has my dog made a mess in there? Has my cat made a mess in there? She went into the front room and she saw the settee on its side, a lampshade on the floor, and a picture hanging very awkwardly. She told her husband, the husband said, oh, don't worry, lass, Australians, very strange people. But she was really upset. And that night she got a call from Ambleside, an English Lake District, from the same Australian. I'm so sorry about leaving your house in such a hurry. I should think so. What's the problem? Ah, oh, my wife's just got over it. Your wife's just got over it? What? What's happened? Well, in the front room there, these soldiers came to the wall, right, my wife and three kids. Soldiers? Oh, yeah. Gaudy beards, red caps, right, my wife and three kids. My wife's just got over it. Oh, thanks for telling me. She put the phone down. It wasn't long before the local newspaper, the Lancashire Evening Telegraph, heard about the story. Then the Daily Mail heard about the story. And that's when, again, our um, university professors arrived from York, sat down with her, and they said, uh, Jean, you were the first person to handle that cannonball since 1642, the first person to handle the broken spur and those musket balls. You have had what we call Martindale syndrome. And they tell about Harry in the uh, the cellar in York. Mm -hmm. He had somehow opened a time warp and she apparently had done the same thing with these artifacts that she brought in to the house. And so this stone wall tape, I, I do believe in that. I really do. That's incredible. And that, do you know, that's the first time I've heard um, the stone tape theory, but from the perspective of an artifact, of an object. It's always been, I mean, I guess you could, you could, you could classify like a, a building, a room as, 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 a, as an object in a, in a way. But that's the first time I've heard, you know, she, she, she's exhumed these, these objects and then this has happened to her. But then, it, you know, if, if, if it can attach itself to, to a wall, then why couldn't it attach itself to, to an object? That's yeah, that, that's that's exactly what I thought, really. But so she she's a, a lovely person to talk to, and uh, you know, like like Andrew in the in the crash, you you're looking at eyewitness accounts here, do you? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what makes it even more enjoyable from my perspective. Yeah, uh, because absolutely. you can always tell when someone's these people have no need to make up these stories; they don't need to. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I have an experience similar with with I I um I accounts. Um, we went to a um an, an abandoned asylum in Lincoln, and after we it was a very uh it was a very strange place, um, very quiet. Um, and then we did a, a Ouija board, and then after that, it got very noisy. It got very it, it felt like we shouldn't be there. Um, it was a palpable sense in the air, so we left, very stressed. We could go to the right and we could go to get in the car or we could go to the left. There seems to be a nice pub over the road uh, and we can just go sit and just take a minute. So we decided to go and do that. Now, they do say 
that bad luck follows you after doing a Ouija board. Basically, we were in this pub for less, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm being literal here, less than two minutes. We hadn't even ordered a drink, and someone uh, was disgruntled and uh, was kicked out of the bar at the pub and then tried to break back in through like tried to smash all the windows and stuff so they locked down the pub they were like everybody stay inside because there's someone trying to you know and he actually got inside and bottled someone the guy was absolutely fine he had a bit of a cut on his head but he was absolutely fine Uh, i must admit the man that he bottled was a mountain of a man so he was very brave to even try that but anyway this guy he got taken away by the police etc etc so anyway we're in this pub and um weirdly really really weirdly because this was just a random pub in the middle of lincoln uh the 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 guy who who lived there and who was like the the landlord if you like recognized me he was like oh my god i love your videos i love your paranormal investigation stuff um what are you doing here and i was like we've just been over the road at the abandoned asylum well and this was none of this. Uh, like we'd finished the video at this point. Admittedly, we did like film a few people's um, stories, but the pub, the locals, just came to life, right? And they were just telling us these stories because they'd grown up there their whole lives, and they're telling us about when they were children playing in the field, looking over at the asylum, which had been closed for fifty years, and they would see like you know an apparition in the windows and things like that, and be chased and all these incredible stories but the thing was you can tell by the way that that, because these these are not professional storytellers like the one of the most incredible stories i heard about that location was from a lovely lady called shan who was um a barmaid there right and she was just telling me about her childhood growing up around this building the things that she had seen and stuff and i could just tell that she was telling the truth. You could see it in her eyes, the way that her eyes lit up, that she was able to share this story with someone who evidently has a passion and an interest in the paranormal. So I get it completely. When you say about eyewitness accounts, you know, I, I've i done videos and stuff for a very long time and I've done stories for a very long time. I myself personally could never replicate the way that those locals in that pub told their stories to me that night about where they it's it's, and it is it's i loved it it was just it's and it's much like i must admit simon it's much like listening to you right now I'm 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 enchanted i love it i love and this kind of actually ties back to the start when we were saying about people's fascination with ghost stories and stuff it's just yes it's just something about it it's just in a weird way not in a weird way. It's it's magical, really, because it is the paranormal is things that we don't understand. It's something that a lot of science cannot explain. So in that sense, you could you could definitely describe it as as magical, and it's just I absolutely I do absolutely love it. And just hearing your stories there, it just reminded me of just being sat in that pub, just 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 you know just fully engrossed in these in these just local normal people that are just living their life in a village that has a haunted location and they have these incredible stories yes yeah and of course it would mean a lot to them duty wouldn't it yes it mean a lot to them absolutely yeah because it's it's like 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 personal sightings personal 
feelings as well, really, which is yeah. very important, I think, really, very important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, obviously, you've met many, many, many people throughout your, your career um, that come to your tours, etc. As you say, you've worked in, in television as well. Would you like to, to tell us a little bit about um, your your career in television, like what projects you've worked on and, and people you've met and things like that? Well, um, it wasn't always paranormal in my mm -hmm. case. Um, would you believe, uh, way back in the 1980s, there was a craze, an absolute craze for impersonating people, would you believe? Okay, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I got into the Terry Wogan show as a guest once. Right. Uh, not, to, not to mention the paranormal, but um, would you believe sound effects, um, things like galloping horses and dentist drills and things. But what I do tend to do, when I do tell the stories, uh, particularly on the coaches, I will actually put those stories in. Uh, shall we have a ghost story with a sound effect, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but the sound effects are all made by mouth alone, but we'll right. turn the clock back in time now to a bitterly cold December day, way back in 1781, when a coach arrived in the beautiful little village of Warren, near Clitheroe. <laughs> On that coach was a young lad called Jonty Martindale. Jonty was a cotton trader. He'd been to look at the ships coming into Liverpool, full of cotton from Louisiana and Mississippi. He would then take bales of cotton and sell them to the textile barons of Lancashire and Yorkshire. He made his way into the uh, beautiful Worley Arms where all the textile barons were having lunch upstairs. And as he went inside, he met the landlord, William Hamer, who said, Hey, Jonty, you look a bit tired, mate. What's the problem? Well, I'm a bit worried about my wife. Um, she's expecting our first child, and I told her to be by her side when she when, when she goes into labour. Oh, oh, don't worry, Jonty, the textile barons upstairs. Uh, they'll be down here soon. You can take all your orders and then you can get underway. Your, your coach has gone around the back of the building and your horses are being fed and watered. Jonty enjoyed a good drink. He enjoyed a good meal. He then paced the room. Where's me coach? I've got to get home. I've got to get home. He looked into the distance and there outside the inn, he could see six horses and a coach. And on the side of the coach, the words Lancaster, Manchester. Ah, oh, that's my coach. He left at great speed and climbed inside. Inside it smelt very, very musty, very damp. And as his eyes became accustomed to the light, in there with him were two other people that gave the impression of being female. One sitting next to him, her face discarded by a Victorian bonnet. Right in front of him, another lady with a baby wrapped in a blanket, but her head also disguised by a Victorian bonnet. He tried to get a conversation going. Uh, excuse me, ladies. Uh, can I open the window, please? It's not very nice in here. No answer. The coach jutted forward. Jaunty made another request. Uh, ladies, when am I to just open the window, please? No answer. He stood up and yanked the window down by grabbing the leather strap that would bring the window down. But as he tugged it to his horror, the whole window casing was rotten and came in his hand. He then heard a scream that went straight through him. He turned to the right 
the lady had been sitting next to him had slowly raised her face, and where there should have been a face was a hollow, dark cavity. Jaunty screamed, for another coach banged his head and was knocked unconscious. He came round some five ten minutes later with a very, very nasty head wound in a swirling, swirling blizzard. He made his way back to the inn. He finally got back to the inn. He opened the door and there was the landlord. Uh, Jaunty, where have you been? Let me dress a head wound. Well, I got the coach. This one had no face. This one had a baby. Calm down, Jaunty. Your coach is still around the back of the building. Your horse is still being fed and watered. And if you look outside, the snow is so deep and so thick that any coach that arrived here would have definitely made an imprint. You've been seeing things. Jaunty spent the night there. The following morning, his original coach was ready. He got back to Bromley Cross Bolton just in time to witness the birth of his baby daughter. Well, they say in that little village of Warley, when it's very, very quiet, the sound of galloping horses with a coach can be heard. It seemed that Jaunty got into a ghost coach that night. That's amazing. Um, that's, that's literally like listening to an audio book. I was literally about to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to do that's an audio book but um, um, I've got quite a few uh, stories actually in what we call zip file, on zip file on yeah, my yeah. laptop. But I wouldn't know how to put those into an audio book. It's a bit too technical for me, really. I'd, I'd need some uh, professional help on that one, I think. Really. I think that could be something that Tom could help you with, I reckon. Yeah, it's a good lad, Tom. Good he's, lad. He's yeah. brilliant, isn't he? He's lovely. We had he he came on the podcast. Um, yes, I did see week. that. Yeah, yeah, I did yeah. see that. No, he's, he's great. Um, but yeah, no, that's that was fantastic. So, you, so you you went on the Terry Wogan show to to do some of these. Sound yes, uh, at that time there was um, a series called That's Life with Esther Ransom. Um, Terry Wogan show. Blue, I've got a Blue Peter badge. Nice. Uh, there's also the London Weekend TV's Game for a Laugh. Um, but it was always the same material, really. I, mean, I had some great fun with it, really. And I went to Steve Wright in the afternoon at Broadsting House there, which was great fun, really. And um, Pebble Mill at One, which uh, was a great series and from Birmingham, great fun, really. But um, the, the paranormal side, um, I have actually met the uh, most wanted team, uh, yeah. Derek Cornovet Fielding. And um, I was a little bit, little bit sudden, really, because when I did meet them, they wanted stories, lots of stories, mm -hmm. and um, they tend to they tended to rush them a bit, really, and right. they tended to put them in different areas. Which, uh, of course, I wasn't the producer; it was up to them, really. But um, mm -hmm. I'd have handled it slightly different myself had I been uh, actually more involved. Um, I've also um, do a lot of work for Haunted Happenings in Nottingham. They're a great yeah. bunch of people. Hazel Ford, mm -hmm. uh, Spooktacular, uh, with Natalie down in the Choose Jane Harris. I do a lot of work for Jane. In fact, I'm seeing Jane next weekend. Oh, uh, we got a Pendle Witch tour there. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I've enjoyed what I've done really. Um, but I'm always looking for new stories. But like I said before, Dee, I prefer the eyewitness accounts. Really. Yeah. Uh, it's okay to read about them, but it's good to see an eyewitness account, and uh, they're the ones I find fascinating. Really. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... 
if you ever if you ever um that so myself and and Lozzie, we're from um like norwich great yarmouth um the east anglia the, yes, broad, the norfolk yeah. broads and um i don't have it to hand oh i do it's just over there my uncle gave me a book it's actually from i think 19 th- i want to say 31 it's called ghosts of the broads there are some incredible it, it, each chapter oh, is, sure. is like a village uh, in the area and there are some fantastic fantastic um stories in there and they're all they're all you know um personal accounts of of different stories and things like that and i tell you there there, there, there is one thing that um is is kind of like a, a repeating factor in a lot of these stories is much like what you said um at the end of the story that you just told where it's like and every now and then you can hear you know something and and and, and a lot of those stories they'll be like there's a bridge in in, in i think it's Reedham. Uh, which is a, a village near nearby and if you go on a certain um day at the stroke of a certain hour you might just see you know a, a carriage being pulled by ghostly horses you know and, and and i find that that is something that um you hear a lot uh, a place that we've investigated a place um where uh Lossie grew up the borough castle um roman ruins I think it's in in April of each year there's a certain night where if you go you can hear like one of the battles that went on you know and and that that those sort of things that's something I've always wanted to do mm-hmm. is I've always wanted to go when these when these things like that that certain date that certain time I've always wanted to go there and just be stood there at that point you know maybe I'll do it next year I'll go go to the Borough Castle ruins at um in April but um but yeah there's there's if you ever come this way there is so much um haunted history um our way I would also love yeah. and, we'll, and this is actually a quite a nice way to bring it in because I said we will be visiting um Pendle which is in this episode I'd also I'd also like to um go to Pendle Hill for for an investigation at some point for, yes. for a video and Simon it would be an absolute pleasure and an honor um if you would would join us to to tell us the history etc when yeah. we're there be more than happy to do I'd love that very much indeed, Rue. It is a fascinating place, Pendle Hill, uh, but this story is so well documented yeah. uh, due to a man called Thomas Potts. And uh, Thomas Potts was sent up from London to record everything that was said at Lancaster City Castle. And again, it's an eyewitness account. And what I love about the tours I do on Pendle, um, we're mixing history with the paranormal. We're yeah. actually mixing something which really really happened yeah but it's one of those famous witch trials in british history it really really is mm-hmm. could you give us a little um insight into the of course. story sure thing um it's quite a long story i'm okay for about 15 minutes yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. sure thing well let's turn the clock back in time and it's very very hard to try and imagine yourself in the early part of the 17th century no technology whatsoever lived off the land no hospitals no dentists no surgeons you lived off the land at that period of time 1603 we just lost this fantastic queen called queen elizabeth i and she was loved by the people of england um defeated the spanish armada 1588 and when she died on her deathbed of course she was known as the virgin queen and she insisted that her cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, whom she'd had beheaded, of course, 
her son, King James VI of Scotland, should become King James I of England. Now, this guy was absolutely paranoid about witchcraft. He not only believed that whips existed, he believed they were actually out to get him. He was convinced of it. He was also an ardent Protestant, and he hated the Catholics with a vengeance. In fact, he blamed the gunpowder plot, not only on Catholicism, but witchcraft as well. So on becoming King of England, he wrote a book called The Demonology Book, and you can, you can buy that today in paperback if you'd like to, and actually pick it up, how to find a witch, how to try a witch, and most mm -hmm. importantly, how to eradicate a witch. Wow. Now, the area known as the Forest of Pendle was isolated, but also, would you believe, very, very Catholic. The Townley family from Burnley, Catholics, uh, landowners, wealthy people, uh, the Shyburns of Preston, Catholics, the Southwest Catholics. The king had his suspicion on the area and gave orders for every single magistrate to watch out for illegal Catholic gatherings. Now, caught up in all this paranoia were a group of people that would go down in history as the Pendle Witches. What made two of them quite unique is two of them were over 85 years old. Now, life expectancy in wow. 1612 would be 35 if you're lucky. I was going to say but that. These, yeah. two women, these two women were over 85. Uh, one was called Elizabeth Southern. She had a nickname. They called her Demdike. Another was called Anne Whittle. She had a nickname. They called her Bessie Chaddox. Both women were capable of fixing broken bones. Both women could reduce temperatures because they knew all about local herbs and plants. In fact, you could say in many ways they were herbalists. They knew exactly what a certain plant could reduce inflammation, could reduce a temperature. And um, of course, all modern plants, um, medicines come from plants, really. Now, these two women, the sad thing about the whole story is they did not like each other. In fact, there was a real hatred. You could say a jealousy in some ways, but what both women were sworn enemies, and this was not going to help them. In the case of Demdike, she lived in a small cottage called Malkin Tower on the slopes of Pendle Hill. She had lost her husband, and she blamed the death of her husband to Bessie Chattox, who she was convinced had cursed him. She lived with a daughter called Elizabeth Device, and she had three children, James, Jeanette, and Alison Device, and they all lived at Malkin Tower. They all had three different fathers. In the case of um, Bessie Chaddock, she lived in New Church in Pendle, a little village on the other side of the hill, with her daughter Anne Redfern. These were the main Pendle witches. But the story really starts on the 18th of March, 1612, when Alison Device, Alison is 14, and she is the granddaughter of Demdike. She has a walk along the length of Pendle Hill. She made her way down the southern slopes of Pendle Hill to the small market town of Combe and had the misfortune of meeting a Halifax peddler called John Law. When I say peddler, John Law is basically a walking salesman. He's got a, a pack in his back full of 1612 luxuries. He would go to all those villages like Ruffley, Newchurch, Blackhoe, Barley, Clitheroe, Downham, Burnley, and, um, and also into Barrow Ford. He was a bit like a walking newspaper. Young Alison met him. Oh, please, sir, you can spare just a couple of pins to pin my clothing together, sir. Get away with you. I'm not taking me pack off for you, lass. You ain't got no money, no use to me. Please, sir, just a few pins, sir. Get away with you. According to John Lord, the Halifax peddler, 
This huge black dog came from nowhere, a most unusual breed with cloven hooves, red eyes, snarling white teeth, and the dog sat next to Alison. The dog turned to look at Alison, and the dog talked. Alison, I can lame him for you. Lame him! Lame him, she screamed. Law felt this terrible pain on his left arm, left leg, and collapsed within the shadow of Pendle Hill. He lay there writhing in agony. The kind people of the market town of Cove could see him. They got a stretch team together, and they carried him down the slopes of Pendle Hill into an old alehouse that has long since gone, called the Greyhound Inn. The landlord, John Edrington, spoon-fed Law. He cleaned him, and as Law's voice returned, he shouted, I've been cursed! There's a witch in the forest, a young lass with a dog, I swear to you. The dog talked, she's it, league with devil. She's a witch, send letters back to me family. A series of letters were sent back to Halifax, and John Law's eldest son, Abraham, received the first letter. Hear me, me father's in trouble, I better go and collect him. He set off from Halifax, arrived in Cone, walked into the old Greyhound Inn, and saw his father in this twisted and contorted state. Father, what's happened to you, man? You look terrible. Abraham, I met a young lass with a dog. She's a witch. She's cursed me, lad. The dog talked. The dog's the devil in disguise. I want you, lad, to go and find her. Bring her here. Reverse the curse. Abraham must have been quite a brave lad. He set up on foot and walked deep into the forest of Pendle, up the slopes of Pendle Hill, and found this little cottage called Malkin Tower. He hammered on the door. The door opened. He was met by a horrible, obnoxious aroma, a most disgraceful stench. There was James Device at the door. Uh, can I help you, she? I want to see Alison Device. Where is she? Uh, in his she. That's my sister. Alison came to the door. Right, lass, you're coming with me. Against her wishes, she was dragged for the forest of Pendle, down to the little market town of Cone and into the old Greyhound Inn, where for the second time inside four days, she made eye contact with John Law, the Halifax peddler. Law looked up for his sick bed and shouted, It's you! It's you! You're the witch! You've cursed me, lass! That dog you had! I heard it talk! You're a glee devil, aren't you? Admit it! This 14-year-old girl, on bended knees, with tears streaming down her cheeks, begged and begged and begged forgiveness. She had no idea. She just admitted to a state capital offence of witchcraft. And strange enough, John Law, the Halifax peddler, is actually about to forgive her, but not his son Abraham. Oh no, we'll have you for this. I'm going to go and get magistrate. Now, the local magistrate was called Roger Noel. He lived in the village of Reed near Burnley, and he was in charge of the whole of the forest of Pendle. Quite a wealthy man, really. He had his book of demonology. He was fully aware of the king's paranoia. He also knew if he could incriminate this young girl, he is indeed going to curry favour with the king of England. So that Therefore, Alison is arrested. She's brought to Reed Hall, where for the second time in 24 hours, she bursts into tears and begs and begs forgiveness. But she gives Roger Noel a lot more information. My grandmother, Demdike, she's a witch. So is Bessie Chattox and her daughter, Anne Redfern. We are familiars, sir. Familiars, said Roger Noel. What's a familiar? Uh, dogs, sir. Tib, Bull, Fancy, Dandy. These four dogs belong to Demdike, Chattox, myself, and my brother James, sir. They've talked to us. They've told us we can give you special powers, but in return, they need to suckle from our flesh. And they've taken our souls, sir. They also tell us to make clay pictures. Clay pictures? What's a clay picture? said Roger. Uh, sir, dolls made of clay. 
but with human hair and human teeth, sir. The dogs tell us to make the clay pictures. We crumble them over the fire, sir, and people die, sir. Roger Noel was actually delighted. He had a confession and gave orders that Demdike, Chattox and Redfern should also be arrested. They are brought to Reed Hall Burnley, where they see young Alison Device, and this huge argument erupts. The four of them try and blame each other. Remember, Demdike does not like Chattox, so therefore she puts the blame on her shoulders and vice versa. But in doing so, the four of them unwittingly admit to witchcraft, which is a state capital offence. They are sent to the city of Lancaster, where they are thrown into what we call the Well Tower. It's a very, very deep, deep underground dungeon. I've only been there once in my life, and that was with Channel 5, and a series called Myths and Legends. And you go into the very bowels of Lancaster City Castle. The light behind you disappears. These four women are chained to the floor in absolutely appalling conditions. And there they will wait for the next four months. In the meantime, on the slopes of Pendle Hill, at the little cottage called Nalkin Tower, Elizabeth Devise is very worried about her mother, Demdike. She's very worried about her daughter, Alison. And she organises what has gone down in history as the Good Friday meeting, where all these other so-called witches gathered on the slopes of Pendle Hill. A scene almost like a Shakespeare play, really. A bit like Macbeth, as they got this large cooking vessel called the cauldron, lit a fire beneath the cauldron, and the black super liquid inside began to bubble and steam. And into that black bubbling liquid went crushed powdered human teeth, the odd clay pitcher, and we are told the odd human scalp. The whole idea, apparently, was to get a potion together to blow the gates of Lancaster City Castle open and rescue their loved ones. However, nothing happened. What did happen is word of the Good Friday meeting reached the ears of Roger Noel, the local magistrate. He gave orders that every person who had attended should be arrested immediately. When word filtered into the forest of Pendle of imminent arrests, the following people thought, hey, there's no way we're going to hang around. Christopher Howgate, his wife Barbara, Isabel Sigros, John Ramsden, Lawrence Hay, they left the area, but in doing so, they saved their lives. The ones that were successfully arrested were Jeanette Preston of Gisborne, West Yorkshire, Catherine Hewitt and Alice Gray of the market town of Cone, Elizabeth Device, James Device, Jeanette Device of Malkin Tower, John and Jane Bullcock, a mother and son from the village of Blacko, and the biggest star of them all, Alice Nutter of Ruffley and Margaret Pearson of Paddyham. They are all sent to Lancaster, with the exception of the two Jeanettes. Uh, Jeanette Preston comes from Gisborne, West Yorkshire, so therefore she is sent to the city of York, parade in front of the York City magistrates. Her husband goes with her, begs for her release, but the judges look a bit sheepish there. They say, I'm sorry, the king has signed her death warrants, but she won't be given a fair trial. The king's word is final, and she's found guilty of the murder of her employer, Mr. Thomas Lister. She'd been nursing him, he had died, she wrapped his body in a clean white sheet ready for burial, and two days before the burial, she touched the sheet and some fresh blood came for the sheeting. This was classed as witchcraft, and she became the very, very first of the Pendle witches to be executed in the city of York at a place called Whitmar Watmar Gate. Whitmar Watmar Gate. 
at the bottom of the shambles, the, the shortest road in the city of New York. The other Jeanette, well, she is going to play a fantastic role in the prosecution of her entire family. She comes from Malkin Tower. She's nine years old and she is living with the local magistrate, Roger Noel. She has no idea that she is going to play a very, very important role in the prosecution of her entire family. Roger Noel is delighted. He writes the king. The king sends a letter back, which you can see in the city of Lancaster, uh, in the courtrooms this very day. Beautiful Italic handwriting. Wow. Uh, Mr. Noel, sir, I'd like to congratulate you on the successful arrest of these evil, wicked women. Um, I'm going to send the, the following people. Uh, Edmund Bromley, James Altham, and a young lad called Thomas Potts. He'll, uh, he'll record everything. If you could meet those three with uh, two other magistrates, you'll be the prosecution. And the prosecution were James Altham, City of London, Edmund Bromley, City of London, Thomas Potts, City of London, Roger Noel, local magistrate for the Pendle Forest, William Holden, magistrate for Burnley, and Nicholas Bannister, magistrate for the Barrow Ford area. The jury are all male, and the prosecution is all male, because in 1612, women are not permitted to have a brain and treated quite badly, really, when it came to male chauvinism. The trials began. Demdike died before the trial began in August oh. uh, 1612. Uh, she died due to the harsh treatment that was meted out to her. But her own granddaughter is brought in, and she's picked up, and she's got a lovely white dress on, beautiful white bonnets, and she's picked up and put on top of the desk so the jury can see her. And she tells the courts how these dogs, Tib, Ball, Fancy and Dandy, had arrived and how the dogs had talked and how the dogs had suckered from the flesh of Demdike and Chattox and told them to fashion clay pictures. Her mother was in court and she shouted, Stop it, Jeanette, you don't know what you're saying. Have my mother removed from the court, sir. She's upsetting me. And her mother was taken downstairs. Um, Demdike died, but she was found guilty of the murder of John Device. She was found guilty of the murder of um, Mr. Henry Mitten of Ruffley and also the murder by witchcraft of uh, Mr. Ralph Ashton of Downham. Of course, she's dead, so therefore she can't in any way protect herself. But the little girl, her own granddaughter, has incriminated her. Then came Bessie Chattox in a terrible state of health. Uh, she is found guilty of the murder of John Device, Hugh and Anne Moore and Anne and Robert Nutter having a dog called Fancy that gave her special powers. Uh, her health is really, really bad, so she can hardly talk, but she accepts her fate, and the little girl on the table does, in fact, also help incriminate her. Then came um, the youngest of the devised children, um, Alice, Alison, and she's convinced that she had indeed lamed John Law, the Halifax peddler, and uh, at the same time, Law was in court that day, and James often said, could he reverse the curse on this man? I can't, sir. Only my grandmother can. And she is dead, sir. And she almost sealed her own fate. Her brother James is brought in, and James is in a very, very bad state of health, lapsing in and out of consciousness. In fact, two judges, uh, two warders, sorry, had to hold him up. And uh, he freely admitted to the murder of Anne Towney of Towney Hall, John Duckworth of Clitheroe, and Hugh and Blaise Hargreaves, two brothers by having a dog called Ball that gave him special powers. He actually sealed his own fate by admitting to it. Um, Roger Noe is quite delighted because as each witch is being ticked off, he is indeed carrying favour with the King of England. He knows he's going to be quite a star ring. 
Um, then came Catherine Hewitt. Uh, Catherine, she was um, called Mole Heels and she was found guilty of the murder by witchcraft of Anne Folds of Combe. Uh, she'd been fighting with her. And this was about two years before she was even arrested. And Folds had died quite recently. This was classed as witchcraft. She made a plea of not guilty, but uh, the little girl on the table did point her out as being at the Good Friday meeting at mm. Malkin Tower. It was believed in those days that a child could not be manipulated, and they believed every word she said. Right. Yeah. Um, John and Jane Bullcock, they're both uh, mother and son, they're farmers, and they've been complaining about land disputes, complaining about someone taking cattle and sheep. The person who actually owns the land is called Alice Nutter. She's 60 years old. She's lost her husband, uh, but she takes over the job of running the estates by extracting rents off farmers as an income, really. And she went to see Roger Noel, the local magistrate, but the fact she was a woman, he refused to see her. So therefore, she went to Lancaster and saw the senior judges there, and they awarded her lands back to her. And they reprimanded Roger Noel for not doing a very good job. And he thought, I need to get rid of this woman. John and Jane Bullcock as well, how can I do it? Aha, the trump got up my sleeve. He still had the little girl standing on the table. Jeanette lies, and he's sitting in front of the courts. Uh, Jeanette, these people here, John and Jane Bullcock, Alice Nutter, were they at your home, Malkin Tower, on Good Friday? They were, sir. A look of shock and horror came across their faces as they realised on the evidence of a little girl they're being found guilty of witchcraft. And they were found guilty of not only witchcraft, but attending the Good Friday meeting at Malkin Tower. The little girl on the table had sealed the fate of all those people. The Pendle Witches were all executed on the 20th of August 1612 in front of huge crowds in Lancaster. God. And watching that day was a little girl. She was holding the hand of the local magistrate. She watched the family die. Uh, she watched the landowners die. She saw the inhabitants of Cone die. And as soon as they stopped twitching, Noel said, Goodbye. But surely, sir, <sighs> I'm going to that lovely warm house of yours, sir. Goodbye. He had used her. Yeah. She made the long, long journey back to the forest of Pendle, knowing full of her evidence had claimed the lives of her entire family. We do know the following day that James Oldham is knighted. Edmund Bromley is knighted, Roger Noel is knighted and made the House Sheriff of Lancashire, and Thomas Potts writes his book, The Wonderful Discovery of Whips in Lancashire, which earned him a fortune. Little Jeanette did survive because three years later, the poor girl is rearrested. Um, she is sent to Lancaster, stripped naked. They look for marks on her body. Um, she's sent down to the city of London. The same thing happens again. And after two and a half years of travelling up and down the country, the accusations against her had come from a, a young lad called Edmund Robinson, who said he'd seen her commit acts of witchcraft. After two and a half years, he retracted by saying, I didn't see her do anything. So he could say that witchcraft or the superstition surrounding it absolutely destroyed that young girl's family. Yeah. And indeed, uh, the lives of those poor people in the forest of Pendle. Uh, what we do find amazing, duty is when the snows come to Pendle Hill, the last piece of snow to melt. And I must ask uh, listeners to, to look at this on Google search. You'll find... The White Witch of Pendle, which is actually a snow, the last piece of snow melting in the perfect shape of a white witch. Oh, wow. And um, it, it's still there this very day. But um, thank you for your time there, Dudley. I'm sorry for rambling on like no, I have been. But, it's um, a fascinating oh, it's story. I, I've never, I'd never heard that story before. Had you heard it, Loz? No, no, never heard anything like that. I heard the location, never heard the history. That is incredible. And so, and so beautifully beautifully told if i may say simon um listen yeah. i have um, thoroughly on the, on the, on the, 
Was that sorry? Uh, sorry, dude, I beg your pardon. Uh, what we tend to do with the with um, shall we say haunted happenings or spooktacular or dust till dawn, um, uh, we uh, will actually go to Malkintar. And yes, they do bring Ouija boards with them. Yes, they do do table tipping. And um, one th uh, event that did fascinate me really was um, when we, this human tooth came from nowhere and it bounced off the table. Um, I got the torch and looked under the table and it was actually a milk tooth. It was a child's tooth. And all those people in the tours are over 18 years old. And uh, it was a milk tooth. Um, we also had uh, one of the mediums with us uh, from Haunted Happenings, and she found what's called a spell bag. It was left by another group, and she became very, very seriously ill uh, yeah. three days later and was actually rushed to hospital, and they, they thought she had um, a, a blood poisoning or something, but she was very, very ill. But she, since oh, when she what? touched the spell bag, which had various items in there, really. Yeah. It, it is a very haunting location. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a location that in in the in the new year we definitely definitely want to visit. Um, Simon, this is this has been a treat. This has, this it's been obviously a podcast episode, but this has been a treat, and I've thoroughly enjoyed your stories. Thank you, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate Perfect. it, and we would love to have you on again in the future if you oh, would if yeah. you would join us. Um, of course i've got plenty more stories <laughs> amazing amazing simon last thing um i'll ask you is obviously you do these tours and things if the listener wants to come and do a tour with you where can they find that information i find the best way um is through facebook okay. just go to top hat tours top hat tours on facebook you can message me um, I leave uh, dates on there, of course, and uh, that's the best way through Facebook. Top okay. Hat Tours. I'll tell you what I'll do, um, as well as the link for for the video with Tom. I'll put that. I'll put the Facebook link um, down below in the comment uh, in the in Thank the you. in the description as well. But um, yeah, I, I we will definitely Simon. If it's all good with you, in in twenty twenty four, we will get a Pendle Hill trip together because I would absolutely yeah. love that thank you so much Simon thank you Loz, thank you to everyone listening and watching at home, we hope that you've enjoyed and uh, we'll see you again very soon see you later everyone bye bye <laughs>